I'm Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr. Biffo, and I'm joined once again on Between You and Me, aka Biampod, by my wife, Sanya. You've said hello already. I have. She's looking at me, waiting for me to cure up to say something else. No, I was looking at you trying to stop myself from saying, greetings, Biam cheers. Which, yeah. please cut that bit out. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> now I'm leaving that in. So this week, having covered side one of Script for Jester's Tear last week, we're going to look at the next three and final three tracks, which are one and the same. That was convoluted. We're looking at side two of Script for Jester's Tear, which, for my money, has a different feeling to side one. Completely different. I won't go that far. Very different. Slightly. Slightly? I thought it was... Yeah, I don't know. Well, it kicks off... Lyrically, completely different. Thematically, thematically very very different. different. Extremely different. Whereas side one was very much fish looking inwards. Side two, fish looks beyond the confines of his bedsit. Beyond the confines of his heart. Yes. (laughs) The bedsit is a metaphor for fish's heart. Wow. Oh, We're yeah. not doing ourselves any favours here, are we? <laughs> so it opens with a track that Marillion still play today that's very much so a classic Marillion song. The rather splendid Garden Party. Yes. Off you go, Sanya. Let's hear what you make of this. Again, a song that you've heard live. Yeah, and I have to I have to give a disclaimer here because I have heard it live and I already really, really love the song. So far, out of all the songs I've listened to for this podcast, this is my way my favourite. I mean, possibly even about Grendel. I'm sorry, Grendel. I'm sorry. At least at least equal with Grendel. No, maybe even above Grendel. I love it. I, I have not a single criticism of this song. Really? I think it is... Lyrically and musically. Yeah, I think it's a perfect song. <laughs> Along with Grendel. Okay, let's put them at... Let's put them at... We don't need to first. rank them. It's okay. fine. All right. They can be best friends and hold hands. Yeah, I just think it's the sound of it. Um, the music in it. It gives every single band member has a chance to shine in this song. It's... Extremely theatrical, once again, like a lot of the others we've listened to so far. But the theatricality is king. It, it's, I don't know, I just love it. I love the rolling R's. I love the drum beat. You just want to join in with it. Don't you think it's a bit of a weird song? Yeah, it's a Musically, we- it's a weird song, isn't it? What makes it weird for you? Well, I suppose I remember way back on a Friday night when I used to have my friends round mm. when I was prior to being a father. And my mates would come around on a Friday and we'd listen to Marillion, as you do. Uh, and Wow, I, times have changed. Yeah, they don't come around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you still spend time with your mates listening to Marillion. Well, I think... This got to number 16 in the charts. Did it? Number 16, their first top 20 single. Wow. But it's a weird song to have got in the top 20. Tell me, what what do you So my mates used to come around it? on a Friday night. I remember one time I said, should we dance to, to a garden party? And we put it on. <laughs> what was that? Hey, guys, guys, should we dance to garden party together? Yeah, that's exactly how I speak. 
Thank you, Sanya. It was a young Paul. A young Paul, yeah. My voice had broken, thank you. So it was me, like my friend John, my friend Seb, I think. Hello to both of them. And we attempted to dance to it. We got about halfway through and we realised, yeah, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) I think we'd seen it at gigs and jumped up and down. Right. And there's there's something to be said for being in a live environment and listening to Garden Party and jumping Mm -hmm. up and down to it and singing along. Yeah. And doing hand gestures as you do. Oh, yeah. Straff by Strauss and Swallows, you know, swoop like violins or whatever the words are. Uh, and trying to replicate that in your parents' living room. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the same atmosphere, is it? I, of course I love Garden Party. It's impossible not to love Garden Party. You can't not love it. It's got its tongue firmly in its cheek. It's a song, as we know, well, I'm, I'm going to preempt you here. You must know what it's about. Well, I'm guessing it's about... Um... I don't know if I'd say mocking, but it does. He does seem to be mocking the fakeness of like the socialites and upper classes from of Cambridge. Is it Cambridge? It's, yeah, yeah. He went went to visit a girlfriend who had had moved to university, and he got there, and she had changed completely, and was all oity toity. Oh, I see. Okay, I didn't know that part of it. And as much as Marillion got grief for being like Genesis, and we will stop mentioning that soon. That was exactly the sort of set that Genesis came from, which a lot of people seem to miss, you know, when in their criticisms of Marillion at the time. Mm. Marillion were not from that sort of social strata. And here's the song that sort of proves it. Right. That's not to say Fish doesn't, of course, get very worthy at times, but here... Even if even if you're not a fan of fish being a little bit poetic, mm. here you can kind of go, well, that's fine because yeah. he's mocking. Oh that. yeah, oh here it is the perfect place for that kind of wordiness and the rolling of the R's. And it's the first Meridian song with the F word in it. Oh yeah, although not uh, famously the the single version, which when they appeared on top of the pops. They'd changed the word, the word fucking to miming. So when that line came up on top of the pops, Fish looked straight into the camera and kept his mouth shut. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. But I'm miming. <laughs> oh, that's great. But yeah, it's what can you say? It's, it's a Meridian classic, but it's mm. a weird song and it's an even weirder single. I don't think it works as a single at, at all. Well, it must have if it got to number 16. I think they just built up so much hype and had such a following by that point that I think people would oh, just Oh, but you listen to the music, especially there was a, a point at around, I'm just guessing the time, but I'm thinking it was around six minutes where this, now I'm cringing at myself right now, but I was walking along in the morning listening to it with my headphones on and I actually got the tingles at, all the the different instruments coming together in the song. It was beautiful. I should say, by the way, neither Sanya nor I are musicians. No, I'm not a musician. So I know nothing about music. We struggle to describe the musical aspects. Yeah. Of because I am a writer by trade. I'm so. not even a writer, so I just struggled to, yeah. to describe anything. But yeah, I did. So... It, it wasn't just the... And I love the language. I love the floweriness in it. I love the atmosphere it creates and the images it paints in my mind. But it was that bit with the, the instruments coming together. And it, I, I don't know. Mm. 
it was just a little bit overwhelming. Wow. <laughs> Which I'm laughing at myself. Now. <laughs> so over the top. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Have you seen the cover to this? No, I have. Do I want to? Yeah, of course you do. Go on, look it up. Okay. While you've got the laptop in front of you, look it up. Unfortunately, there's no video of this. But apparently when they used to play this live, Fish used to get a cucumber on stage and he'd hide a, a blood capsule in it. And he used to get a knife out and kill the cucumber. Oh my goodness, that is... Um... Hence the cover of... Yeah. A mutilated I cucumber. Can't, I can't say I have the same positive feelings about the cover as I do about the single. So I'm, I'm sorry. The, the single, the single version was given the subtitle "The Great Cucumber Massacre." No, oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the I appreciate idea being, that. You know, cucumber sandwiches. Oh. Yeah. Oh yes, there was a lyric. Oh, where is yeah. it in the beginning? Queuing cumbers. Yeah, edgy <laughs> eggs and queuing cumbers, rudely wakened from their slumber. What does time has come again for slaughter? Is this that slaughter of the cucumbers? Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. On the lawns by Steel Cam Waters. A slaughter. Yeah. It's a slaughter. It's a slaughter of cucumbers. <laughs> yeah, the great cucumber I love massacre. That. Oh. You know, it, How can you not like that? They've done a few songs in their career. Not many, but mm. a few that have definitely shown they've got a sense of humour. This is they have is yes, and as we heard with charting the single, yeah, charting singles that another. had a sense of humour. Then it was a while, I think, until something like uh, Cannibal Surf Babe and the H era. So it was Cannibal Surf Babe got under the sun. We'll get to all these in right. Yeah, I'm still not familiar. But with they're those. songs that didn't take themselves too seriously. The B side of of garden party which i didn't ask you to listen to because it's just a live recording of a song that they always used to end their gigs with mm. in their early days was a song called margaret i've never heard of it or as most million fans know it margaret because it goes ma ma margaret it's basically a version of Loch lomond the scottish song and it would just turn into a long extended jam built around Loch lomond where fish would sing you take the acid and i'll take the dope oh my and goodness. i'll be stoned a for you <laughs> me and the drug squad and, oh anyway. rock and roll <laughs> so uh yeah it was uh and it was named after the van that they used to travel around the country and who they called margaret oh brilliant oh they name their vehicles as well like, yeah, we, like do. we do jocelyn and Roth- oh <laughs> we had a car called rothers <laughs> which said you just let slip we called our car rothers after steve rothery Moving on from the fact that we had a car called Rothers, uh, what else is there to say about about Garden Party? The the video for it, we'll get onto a bit more of this in the in the next episode. But the video for it doesn't feature Mick Pointer, uh, uh, and it features a different drummer, a guy called Andy Ward. Oh, okay. Who Mick Pointer had been fired from the band by the point the oh, Garden Party came out. What did he out. do? Oh, you don't have to say. Well, if it's he, personal. he wasn't. A good well, enough. not personal to you, but if it's... He, allegedly, he wasn't a good enough drummer. I see. And they had okay. trouble with him in the studio when they were recording the album mm-hmm. and live, and they felt that they needed a more polished drummer mm-hmm. rather than an amateur I really liked his drummer. drumming from what I heard. What I will say is it, it, it doesn't get in the way. <laughs> it does the job. 
But at the same time, we don't know what they had to go through to That's get that. That's true. We don't know what was going behind, going on behind the scenes. Yeah. But I think that it, it probably, judging by the opening track of Fugazi, the next album, mm. which is about the firing of Mick Pointer. Is it? Yeah. They wrote a song about yeah, it. I've revealed, I've told you what it's about oh, now. Oh, no. But it is, it, it's, um, I think there was probably a bit more to it than that. And it might have been personnel clashes. Right. Given that, I mean, I read an interview the other day with Peter Ravis who explained that he used to keep Fish at arm's length because he, he found him a bit too headstrong. Oh, And it's one of the things seeing, because now Meridian are a lot more sort of accessible in a lot of ways than they used to be. You just see them sort of cropping up on music shows once in a blue moon or in print. Whereas now various members of Meridian are on countless YouTube interviews and you kind of sort of see what kind of people they at least come across as mm. and certainly pete and rothers it's hard to imagine <laughs> either of them being in a band with with fish because they're they're kind of quite calm personalities and fish is yeah. a big character mm. and a proper rock star whereas the rest of them are, are kind of musicians in a, a sort of very hard to kind of put into words but they seem quieter as people and fish is is not to say the least mm. How did I get onto that? Yeah, so I can imagine there there may have been tensions between Fish and Mick Pointer. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so he doesn't appear in the video. We're going to do a, uh, a separate episode just on all of the Meridian Fish era videos at some point when we get Sounds to the good. end of the yep. when we get to the end of the albums and before we launch into the Steve Hogarth era. So I think we've covered. I think Garden so. Party. Yeah. It's a classic. I, I'm going to say it again. It's a weird song, but I kind of love I it. I still don't understand what you mean by that. But okay, it feels I'll like, accept, It feels I'll like a song your... of different bits bolted together, which certainly Meridian... Well, isn't that what Prog does? Uh, I don't think it holds together as well as Grendel. You mean musically or... Just as, just as a whole, as a whole piece. Really? Hmm, it feels more it, For me, it feels more disjointed than Grendel. Ah, huh. I didn't. I don't get that sense. And but the web. I accept your. I accept that that's your opinion. That is my opinion. Thank you. You're welcome. But don't get me wrong. I love it. I love it. But I exactly. It's What's not to one love? of the reasons for doing this exercise, for doing this podcast for me. Certainly, when going back to the fish era, it's like the the Steve Hogarth era. I know I love a lot of that mm. because I love the music and I love the songs. And I love his words and mm-hmm. I love his voice. Yes. Uh, and I love how the rest of the band have sort of matured as songwriters. But I've always got this fear with the Fish era, partly because I've had it drummed into me that they were rubbish right. by the music press and just the general reaction and of people over the years. What's that guy's name? Parks with an E. Oh, yeah. What's his name? Let's get him up again. Let's <laughs> welcome him back onto the podcast. Jackson's. Barks or something. Anyway, whoever it was I slagged off last last episode. Uh, I've always got this worry because I've so had it drummed into me that Marillion are rubbish or early Marillion are rubbish, Fish here and Marillion are rubbish. And I just like them because they got me when I was 14. Yeah. And it's a nostalgia thing. Which is understandable. So, yeah. So part of it, looking at it with you who didn't have that association and looking at, trying to look at it again through fresh eyes and really delving into into the songs more than I have done in years. So I'm hoping that I kind of go, no, I love them because they were good. Mm. You know, subjectively, of course. 
so far has that been your experience or what yeah, have you found? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, nothing has sort of jumped out and kind of made me go, I love this in a way that I didn't before, except maybe Grendel, whereas I think I, I looking at that again, it is a great song, mm. genuinely. And it's not a case of it's great in an ironic way. It's yeah. just genuinely great. Yeah. So it's it's working to a point. But yeah, Garden Party may have slightly gone the other way. I'm not sure it hangs together brilliantly. Really? It's That's not so a, interesting. I'm not sure it's a song that I'd play to someone to get them into Marillion, put it that way. I mean, I don't know. Would it be a song that I played to someone to get them into Marillion? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I w- it would be one of the songs because I just, I, it's just great. It's great mm. fun. It is fun. It is a fun little song. Yes. So should we move on? Let's move on. Chelsea Monday. Chelsea Monday. Okay. Oh, this doesn't sound good. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. So I have a better appreciation for it after reading the lyrics. Wait, before I start, I have no idea. I have to ask you the bit before the, the song starts. I don't know what the guy's saying, but Lake to me, one. wait, 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 don't tell Lake me yet. One. To me, it sounds like saying noodle all day, make one. <laughs> say news something, late one, late one. Oh, Not I was like noodle all day. It's, new, it's, it's meant to be someone selling newspapers. I see. Okay, right. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that at News all. of the day. Night News one. of the we'll day, like not that. noodle noodle a day. Noodle all day. Noodle all day. Make one. <laughs> make one. Make a noodle all day. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit surreal. I love the start. I love the bass. I love the atmospheric guitar. Oh, my God. That was beautiful. Um, and a, then eight year a song that Pete Veravis played that bass line when they played it live. Um, oh, really? If my heart were a ball, it would roll uphill. Oh. He put it in that song, and there's a you know there's a bit later on where you go, she was only dreaming. Was yes, only dreaming. yeah. Pete does that, sings it as well in the actual, in, in the studio version. Yeah, of if my heart were a ball. Yeah, does he? <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. It's the only H. Is it? Are the two songs linked? No, in any no, other I mean, way. You know, one's got lyrics from Steve Hogarth, and one's got lyrics by Fish. So, but uh, it's just Pete being a bit cheeky. Ah. Yeah. It's a cheeky one. Isn't he just? Yeah, so for me, I found this to be the wordiest song so far in terms of like overly complex flowery lyrics. Really? What, yeah. even more than The Web? Yeah. With the Cyclops in that the Tenement? That was when I listened to it, that's just how I felt. I, I don't know. It's like, the, 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 the okay, so this is before kind of looking into the lyrics and everything. What stood out was the music, the guitar especially, that I loved. The lyrics, I I didn't really love. Like, they're all right. I'm guessing that it's a song about an aspiring actress oh, who somehow on. died. Spot on. Quit suicide, but it didn't, really, it didn't really get to me emotionally. For me, it's, it's... I don't like it. Okay, I'm saying it now. This is another one where I'm completely out of step with Meridian fans. 
most Meridian fans who a lot of them, there's been a real campaign in recent years to try to get Steve Hogarth to sing this live. Oh, is, has there? And I don't know why, because I think, I think I'm going to say it, brace yourselves, everyone. I think this is a dirge. <laughs> it's a Ouch. dirge. Ouch. Uh, and well, it sounds like we're on similar page. It, and it does remind me of uh, another sacred cow that I'm going to kick in the throat out of this world, which I don't, I just don't get the love for. I don't. It comes on when they play it live and it's a pee break song for me. Ooh. Sorry, I get. I like what it's about out of this world mm. and we'll get to it when we get to Afraid of Sunlight. But I really, really don't get why so many people love it. And Chelsea Monday is exactly the same and they feel musically similar mm. in that they've got that slow, plodding beat. Mm. But it just, it's never done anything for me, Chelsea Monday. It's a skip this track. It's inspired by Fish. He used to, after all night on drugs, he'd go for a walk through the London streets and he'd see all these people, or actors as he would call them. And he, it's the first Fish song that's a complete, that isn't either about the wider world or about himself. And I think that's what the issue is. There's no there's no emotional grounding there. There's it's no... right. It's telling a complete story from... You know, this fantasy. Yeah. That's extrapolated from people. There's no, there's nothing that you can relate to because it's not personal in any way. And sometimes even something when you're looking at something in the wider world, it can still be personal. Mm. But I, I mean, I, I, I don't feel so bad saying this. I, I was going to feel bad um, for saying that overall it's okay but it's not a very memorable song. No, and I, I do don't... feel I do feel bad apart from that guitar solo, which was amazing. But yeah, I don't hate the lyrics. I don't hate the lyrics. It's the lyrics are fine. It's and... just it. Yeah, I I didn't connect with it emotionally. But then I say that after Garden Party, which I didn't connect with emotionally, but it entertained me. Yeah, it's also a song that unfortunately courted some more genesis comparisons because there are a few lyrics in there which are similar ish very sort of mm, tangentially similar to a genesis song called dancing with the moonlit light where in here you it opens with the late one late one mm-hmm. and in the genesis song they go on about paper late paper late Oh, okay. um, that's uh, yeah. Then a bit the, too close. Then there's the weird bit at the end where, uh, hello, John, did you see the standard about four hours ago? Fished a young chick out of the old father, right? And the Genesis song goes on about old father Thames. So I think a few people kind of went, oh, yeah, he's just rewritten Dancing with the Moonlit Night. And also it didn't help that they had a song called He Knows You Know and Genesis had a song called I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe. Well, that's completely different. Yeah, I know, but that's we're talking about we're different. talking about idiots like that bloke with the extra e in his name, that right. you know the snobs, yeah, who lambast Marillion for being a bunch of upper class snobs when they were being musical snobs themselves. Mm. I always remember in Spitting Image did a book where they um, parodied Smash Hits and they had a review of Marillion's new album, and in there they went on about oh Marillion's yeah amazing new track supper's nearly ready (laughs) stuff like that yeah Um, so I think it was they didn't help themselves even though there were only tiny little kind of glimpses Mm. and Dancing with the Moon at Night 
dealt with uh, sort of Englishness and uh, a sort of lost England. And I think, you know, the fact that this is about London and mentions London. Mm. Like, I don't see it, but I get why people did. But while I'm on this topic, can I just say that no one who lives in London has ever referred to the River Thames as the old father. <laughs> I did. I did actually wonder what that meant. Who, who calls River Thames the old father? That's like, sorry, Fish. There's someone does. You know, I, I, I appreciate... But there's someone out there that calls it the old father. I appreciate he grew up in Dalkeith, but that's akin to... God, what was it? In V for Vendetta, when uh, the Stephen Fry's character in that refers to Eggy Toast or something because it sounds a bit more English. <laughs> or Eggy Baskets or something in that. Mm. You know, oh, would you like Eggy Baskets? And then we'll go for a walk down the old father... <laughs> oh, sorry, Dick Van Dyke. Oh, sorry, ha, no, Dick Van Dick, Dick Van Derek Dick. <laughs> yes, because he's doing oh, his London dear. accent here. Dick Van Derek Dick. Can I just, if you can answer one question of mine, because there was one thing, there was one line about in the song which left me intrigued. Oh, intrigued. She died with a smile on her face. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> it's a mystery. She commits suicide at the end of the song. With a smile on her face. Oh, good for her. Oh, okay. It's just for us to try and imagine. Enigmatic, isn't it? Catalogue yes. princess, apprentice the doctress, buried in her cellophane, cellophane, cellophane world in Glittertown of yes. Chelsea Monday. Mm. Cellophane? Fake? Cellophane world. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. It's not a song that... I ever really go back and listen to but I did for the purposes of this those are the sacrifices we made for you so last track Okay, the, Forgotten Sons. The big closer. Another song that Fish would get a bit theatrical on stage. Oh, did he? Yeah. I love what he did on stage for Forgotten Sons. But anyway, off you go, Sanya. Okay, so I had to say straight away I like this more than Chelsea Monday. I did find it a little bit challenging in the second half when I was just listening to it, and that was before I looked at the lyrics. I was kind of guessing what it might be about. Obviously, it's it doesn't exactly hide what it's about. But yeah, without sort of looking at the lyrics, I, I found it a bit challenging. I mean, once again, okay, so this is a this was an issue for me. I, I, I could hear his anger and I could hear his emotion. I totally understand his message. I get what he's saying. And he makes a good is... point. Well, okay, so I could be wrong. So correct me. If you need to. I'm guessing because he mentions um, you're just another coffin on its way down the Emerald Isle that he's talking about young men that were drafted into the army in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's about, it's about, yeah. Young men being sent off to fight in the troubles. Yeah. And it's a very unromantic view about the, the personal consequences of war so the consequences that the soldier from the soldiers and on their families and how it affects them and things that politicians don't tend to show much care about yeah i i i always interpret it as as the 
it's about the politicians being safe from the they're safe from yeah. the conflict, but yet they'll send young men off with young the pro- men who, with the promise of glory. Yeah, exactly, and who come from potentially um, economically challenged areas, whose only option of a career, a stable career, is in the army, and then they die and and their families suffer or they come back with PTSD or something like that. But the politicians don't have to worry about that. Mm. Um, So it's spot on. Yeah. Because Fish, when he worked in the DSS, I read an interview with, he had someone come in, um, he worked at the job centre basically, who was signing up for the army and Fish apparently tried to argue him out of it. But the the guy's response was, it's a job's a job. Yeah, what am I meant to do? Yeah. I support him in in his message and the lyrics, but for some reason I didn't find the song quite as touching as I did even script for a jester's tear. And even okay, when I listened to the song straight after it, Market Square Heroes came on, which for some reason I found more, I found it more touching than Forgotten Sons, and I don't know why. And the only thing I can think of is maybe because. In script for the Justice Tear, it was very personal. Market Square Heroes even was kind of written from the perspective of Brick, so it was personal in a way as well. And Forgotten Sons was a little bit removed. He's writing sort of in the third person. Yeah, isn't he? he's he's looking... he wasn't even it, it didn't even sound like he was affected personally. Like it was well, he, his he, son or something like that. So he I don't know. If it's... That is that originally he didn't care. It was distant, right? I mean, certainly growing up in. Scotland, mm. whereas when I was growing up, the IRA used to bomb London. I walked past three IRA bombs within a few days of London blowing crazy. up. One time, I walked past a bin that um, on my way home from work that the following morning exploded the bin because they dumped a explosive device in there. Whereas Fish, he says that he it, none of it ever felt real to him, mm. but he had a cousin who fought over there who. I mean, this isn't quite the same as the cousin being killed. But it's the quote from Fish was the, apparently had a brick thrown at him. <laughs> That's no, it's still bad to have a brick thrown at you. I feel so disrespectful. Yeah. And I guess that's why I didn't really emotionally. <laughs> It I feels... agree with him. I can I can feel his no. anger through in the lyrics. I can feel his anger. And I agree with him and, and intellectually I believe that it's important to him, but I didn't connect emotionally. I think, yeah, for me it feels like it's a young man writing a war anti war song. Yeah. And because they feel like that's the sort of thing you write a song about. Yeah. I'm not saying that's not to downplay any of it. No. Um, no. Absolutely. And Fish is certainly, he's always written about war. He's written many songs about war. Stop laughing about the brick. (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) At least it wasn't a shoe. Yeah, that's true. So he's always written about that as a subject. And I think as he's matured as a a person, I think he's able to better get to grips with it. Mm. And this does feel like a first draft of how to write an anti-war song almost. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. 
he got a lot Which more. Which it's not his fault. He was a lot younger then. Yeah. You know, good luck to anyone who hasn't been in a war or been personally affected through a family member being in a war, mm. writing a really raw song. I think it's one of the things as well with um, Marillion on their Sounds That Can't Be Made album with Steve Hogarth, which was released, I don't know, 2012, something like that now. Yeah. They wrote a song called Gaza mm-hmm. uh, uh, about the situation in Israel, the Gaza Strip. Yes. And they got a lot of grief for it, mm-hmm. partly because people accused Steve Hogarth of not having had first-hand experience mm-hmm. with what had happened there. And I remember reading an interview with Steve Hogarth who said, oh, I've, I've Skyped a lot of people over there as a sort of explanation of why he'd written the song and that he had a almost a right to write that song. Mm-hmm. Because I had enough experience by chatting to people on Skype. Right. And this is, I don't want to criticise anyone who wants to write about the situation over there. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to write about, you know, anyone who's never had first-hand experience of the troubles in Ireland. Mm-hmm. But there's something very different about being safe at home in Dalkeith or Aylesbury or London and kind of watching this stuff happening on the news. Mm-hmm. And feeling you know enough about it to write about it and have a an angle on it. I, what am I trying to say? I think the reality of the people who lived in Northern Ireland at the time, the reality of the people who were sent to fight war there, the people that live in the Gaza Strip and the people that live in Israel, they're all going to have a very different perspective yes. on what's happening in those situations than, yeah. than Fish or Steve Hogarth or me mm. or you is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so do you, what do you, you think that they shouldn't be writing about? No, because not necessarily. I think, you know, it's good to get the word out there. It's good for people to talk about these situations. But what I'm saying is that you, even without knowing what the song was about, didn't connect emotionally with it. No. In the way that you did with a song about script. Yes. Where Fish is writing directly from personal experience. Yeah. Rather than watching it on the news and having a cousin who got hit in the head with a brick. Yeah. So, apologies if that offended anyone, any of that, but... um, And I don't think it's... It's not a complete conversation because... You know, I'm glad he wrote the song. I'm glad people talk about these situations in the world. Me as well. Look, and I mean, the I, people I, yeah. in the situation don't always have the opportunity to be able to write songs about it. Gaza. Because Gaza, they're trying yeah. to survive. Gaza, exactly. But Gaza, Gaza is a song, you know, I love that Meridian Gaza that. did. I mean, I have to say, I did connect more with Gaza than I did with Forgotten Sons oh, I, on an emotional level. Whenever they play Gaza... When they get to the, it just ain't right. Yeah, that it I just cry, ain't right. I cry every single time. Yeah, so it's making me kind of get a bit emotional. And now. I wonder if that is because that it just ain't right is coming from Steve Hogarth's personal experience. Yeah. You know, we sitting on our sofas in England can still feel it just ain't right what's happening in that country. But again, he was a lot older than Fish was. When that's he wrote true. The that songs. is true, and that's and very th- a valid yeah. point. And I think. That's the difference. There have been other songs that Fish has written about similar topics that I think have been a lot more affecting. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not knocking him, but it's no. sort of saying he was, again, we've, we have to, all of these songs, I think, have to be taken in the context that he was in his early 20s. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and good luck to anyone being able to take a situation as serious as a war. Yeah, and, and to be able to do it on a way that, that that's not surface. Yeah. Whereas he can certainly write about, boo, boo, I split up with my girlfriend. <laughs> Don't give me that face. I'll try not to. So that's that's the album. There you go. Before we wrap up, I think we should just take a quick look at the cover. Okay. Which I know you're a big fan of. Oh. Because we mentioned the cover in our first episode. And now it, you've sent me a photo of the the, the entire cover. The, the full the, gatefold. Yeah. You'd open up the album and you'd get that. Aren't I lucky? Look, I've got to start with this. I loved it. You you love that cover. I I loved. Tell me what I loved it, and I still kind of do. Tell me what you love about it. it was tell a, me what I'm not seeing. Oh, I love one thing in it. I love the Klimt painting above the fireplace. Not Klimt. Oh, what is it? It's one that Mark Wilkinson did because they couldn't get um, it's uh, the rights to a painting called Ophelia. Okay, well I love that. That's the one thing I love about that cover. I think it. It beautifully evokes the album for a start. I love that it's a puzzle. I love the detail in it. How is it a puzzle? Well, look at all the detail. So you've got, right, okay, you've got the Market Square Heroes poster on the wall, okay, which harkening back to Market Square Heroes, which, by the way, we should say, does make a brief appearance in Forgotten Sons during the radio bit at the beginning. Does it? Yeah, if you listen, you can hear a snatch of Market Square Heroes. Oh, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. So he knows you know cover on there as well. Then you've got, on the TV, what can you see on the TV? It's Punch from Punch and Judy. Oh, right? right. On their next album, Fugazi, they have a song called Punch and Judy. On the back of the chair, there's a chameleon. On their next album, they have a song called She Chameleon. The, the words in the violin case on the chair, hmm. you can't see them in this low-res image that we've got here the the words to yesterday by the Beatles which they had to get permission from Paul McCartney apparently in order to have that I mean there is some music written down but it's just gibberish I just love it look at all the details of the the skull in the pillow and the pillow shaped like a penis oh Um, I thought it was a slug (laughs) no unfortunately not that's what the slugs in the garden look like. Yeah, you've got sounds, Melody Maker, and there's a... Uh, it's just a... Oh, I love it. I love it. I do. Sorry, I can't look at it and criticise it. Wow. I think of the Marillion era, I think it's Mark Wilkinson's best cover. I think he did better covers for Fish, but I just, just love it. <laughs> Okay. I know you do. I, I, I won't say anything because... What does it all mean? That, as the famous saying goes, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Fine. We'll leave um, it at that. Please, just please, can we not get it framed and put on our wall? No. What if it's the original artwork? What if I bought that? Maybe you could have it in the bathroom. <laughs> to wipe my bum on. <laughs> <laughs> Tear a bit off every day. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I liked it. I just, I just can't. Okay, fine. Well, 
that will wrap up well Marillion's first era the script for Jester's Tear Years next time we're gonna launch into Fugazi mm-hmm. which has a very very different sound oh I am intrigued I don't think I've ever actually listened I must have I must have it's the one album the, songs. the one album that Steve Hogarth has never and never will sing any songs of any songs no. any no what's his reasoning he, he sung half of Cinderella Search a couple of times which is what? a B-side has he given a reason yeah he can't relate to it interesting there's your teaser everyone oh okay so we'll see if sanya can relate to it interesting <laughs> all right i'm very very intrigued so uh check us out on twitter Biampod, and on facebook as Biampod. please subscribe please tell people about us thanks for subscribing thanks for listening thanks for being you that's the important thing we'll talk to you next time Thank you.